Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Hello? Okay, good. This is a special church, isn't it? If you're new with us, I trust you'll be back after a morning like this morning. Psalm 55, our scripture for today. Listen to the poetry of the Bible. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me and I am distraught. Because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked, for they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I would have wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee far away and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and storm. Lord, confuse the wicked. Confound their words. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they prowl about on its walls. Malice and abuse are within it. Destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave its streets. If an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe were rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, one like myself, my companion, my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God as we walked about among the worshipers. Let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. As for me, I call to God, and the Lord saves me. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. He rescues me unharmed from the battle waged against me, even though many oppose me. God, who is enthroned from of old, does not change. He will hear them and humble them because they have no fear of God. My companion attacks his friends. He violates his covenant. His talk is smooth as butter, yet war is in his heart. His words are more soothing than oil, yet they are drawn swords. Cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But you, God, will bring down the wicked into the pit of decay. The bloodthirsty and deceitful will not live out half their days. But as for me, I trust in you. This is the word of God. You may have a seat. So just some really cheerful, happy verses today at church. My uh, question for you this morning is, have you, uh, have you ever experienced life on the edge? Like when life is, is, is so difficult, when life is so overwhelming that you are, you're just on the edge, you're just hanging on. I've been thinking this week about the times in my life where I've experienced life on the edge. And I'm gonna share a time with you, and I just want you to know it's, it's an illustration, not an example. And it's a really important for me to say that. Because the reality is so many of you in this room right now when I share about a time in my life of being on the edge, and you think about what's going on in your life, what's going on in your family, going through divorce, 
estranged from friends and family, my illustration might seem a little cute. But nonetheless, it was 1998. I just finished working a summer at Forest Home, and that summer, I fell in love for the first time. And it was a typical summer camp relationship because we met in June, and by August, we were talking about our wedding. I was all in. First real relationship. This girl was great on so many fronts. And so that fall when camp ended, I was starting Cal State San Bernardino while I was working at at Forest Home. And this girl went back to her school, and, and life was looking up. But two weeks into the quarter at Cal State, on a Sunday afternoon, my girlfriend came up to Forest Home and knocked on my door and, and broke my heart and, and just said she couldn't do the relationship anymore and she couldn't explain why and, 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 and just broke my heart. Well, this was before you could talk about things like we've been talking about at church the last couple of weeks. This was when you couldn't talk about depression and anxiety, and something overcame me, and for the next two weeks, I just couldn't move. I didn't go to school, and if you're familiar with the quarter system, they're 10 weeks long. You can't not go for two weeks and survive. And so after missing two weeks and being in this depression, I still will remember that at the end of that quarter when I got a piece of mail letting me know that I had been academically dismissed from Cal State San Bernardino. That's a nice way of saying you flunked out of college. It was was a tough time. When it rained, it was pouring. Not only was my heart broken, but my whole future had been affected now. And life was difficult. It was hard to wake up. It was hard to feel any kind of joy in my life. Life for me was on the edge. Psalm 55, we catch the psalmist on the edge in his own life. And we have to remember, and we're going to look at and see, what can we learn from him? How might we be able to live and to have faith and to be found faithful at a time in life where we're on the edge? Really quickly, the psalms, as you know, they're poetry. They're they're one book of five books of the Bible called the wisdom books, And what sets this genre of literature differently from other biblical genres is that the point of view of the Psalms, the the writer, the author, the perspective is that of human beings expressing to God what it's like to live in his world. So much of the scripture is God's voice. It's his perspective. In the very beginning, it's him creating, him building, him selecting, him forming a community, selecting a people, showing who he is in this world But in Psalms, we find a different perspective. We find human beings who know God expressing back to God creatively through poetry, through songs, through through short, pithy statements, expressing back to God what it is like to live in his world. And when you look at the Psalms, as we have been looking at this fall, you realize that there's a whole lot of times where the poetry, where the point of view, where the human is expressing back to God that life is hard, that life is difficult. 40% of the Psalms are expressing, this isn't really that awesome, God. But so often we don't spend time in them. I'm so grateful to this series. So how do you study? How do you learn from from poetry? And what we're going to do, and we do this every time I preach from the Psalms, we're going to look at the structure. We're going to look at the way the psalmist has written the poem. And as we break it down into different sections, I believe the Lord will speak to you as he's spoken to me. 
So there are four movements in Psalm 55. Let's jump in. First movement. We'll call it the prayer of despair. Verses 1 to 3. Listen to my prayer, O God. Do not ignore my plea. Hear me and answer me. My thoughts trouble me, and I am distraught because of what my enemy is saying. Because of the threats of the wicked, they bring down suffering on me and assail me in their anger. There's a lot of talk about what actually is going on in the psalmist's life. And so often commentators are trying to, especially when we see that it's a psalm of David, to try to look back at David's life and say, when in his life might he have written this? And some people think this was written when he was on the run from King Saul. Some people think this is when Absalom uh, was revolting away from the house of David. There's no evidence in this psalm. We can pinpoint it perfectly, but it doesn't actually seem to matter because the point is this, is that the psalmist is in a difficult time. He's at the edge in life, and he begins his prayer asking the living God to listen to him, to hear him, and to answer him. The psalmist is in a time of despair, and he is feeling and experiencing the silence and the absence of the Lord. And in his time of despair, he prays to God to listen to him, to hear him, and to answer him. The psalmist's words sit in the heaviness of the place in life that he is. He goes on to say that his thoughts trouble him and that he is distraught, speaking about enemies and the wicked. First movement of this piece of poetry is the psalmist going to the living God in a time of despair and telling him, I'm not hearing you. I'm not experiencing you. It feels like you're not listening. So God, hear me, listen to me, and answer me first movement, prayer of despair. It moves on to the second movement. We'll call it personal turmoil in four through eight. We see specifically that this psalmist is going and experiencing two different kinds of things. First, pain and also escape. Pain, it says that his heart is in anguish, that there's terror of death, fear and trembling. Horror has overwhelmed him. The psalmist is not in a good spot. The psalmist is experiencing deep pain, deep fear. He's trembling. He's experiencing anxiety. So much so that at this time of turmoil in his life, that he wants to get away from it all. So he's expressing his pain to God in this time of despair, but he's also expressing that he wants to get out of this situation. He wants out. He wants wings like a dove so that he can fly away. He wants to stay into the desert, the quiet serenity, away from everything that is difficult going on in his life. He is essentially screaming to God that I just want to get out of this situation. If I could, I would. And so God, life is so difficult right now. I'm experiencing so much fear, so much despair, so much anguish that God, I want to leave. The psalmist is expressing that God is not a very loud voice or presence in his life right now. And that in his time of pain, that he wants to run. He wants to escape the situation. 
Have you ever felt that way? I know I have. But the poetry moves on, the third movement. He moves past his personal turmoil, and he starts appealing to the Lord. And this is where we find the psalmist, and this is where we see his anger. When you read in verse 9 and verse 15, the psalmist is explained, right? He's, he's coming to the Lord in a time of despair. He's sharing his pain. He's, he's saying, I want to get out of here. I want to leave all this. But then he appeals to the Lord to come in and to rescue him. And he has some very specific ideas of what the Lord could do. In verse 9, Lord, confuse the wicked. Confound their words. In verse 15, let death take my enemies by surprise. Let them go down alive to the realm of the dead, for evil finds lodging among them. The psalmist is pretty angry because he's asking the Lord to do two things, to make everybody else dumb or dead. Confound their words, stop their influence. Make them sound really foolish so that they can stop doing the things that they're doing. Oh, and the other thing you could do is just kill them, take them down to the dead. That would be great. The psalmist is appealing to the Lord to change the pain and the situation in his life, and he is ticked off. He is angry. You, 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 don't, you don't express words to the living God about making people dumb or dead, and you're in a peaceful place of life. The psalmist is angry. Anger is, is a very interesting thing. So oftentimes, we think of anger as kind of a primary emotion, but though, though, this, I want to read this to you. Anger is often called a secondary emotion because we tend to resort to anger in order to protect ourselves from or cover up other vulnerable feelings. A primary feeling is what is felt immediately before we feel anger. We almost always feel something else before we get angry. So for the psalmist, the anger, what's informing his anger? Well, he's distraught. He's in anguish. Terror, fear, horror. These are the feelings that translate for the psalmist into anger. And he is going to the Lord and saying, Lord, I am so upset. I am so angry at all that I am feeling at the situation of my life, that I want you to fix it, and here's what I want you to do, and it's very specific. Why is he feeling all this? Why is he appealing to the Lord in these two specific, in this specific way? Well, there's two specific reasons. He's appealing to the Lord because what we later read is that there's some things going on in his personal life, and there are some things going on in the community. First, we see that there is destruction going on in the city that the community isn't well. Verse nine, there's violence and strife in the city. Verse 10, malice and abuse in the city. Verse 11, destructive forces are at work in the city. Threats and lies never leave the streets of the city. Not only is the psalmist not well, the community that the psalmist lives in is not well. The city is not well. The wicked are having their day, and it is a terrible time to be a leader. And it is a terrible time to be a citizen. Destruction is winning. In the Psalms, there's all kinds of uh, ways to categorize, you know, what, what kind of psalm is this. And Psalm 55 is categorized as an individual lament. 
meaning that the point of view and the lament the, is, is David or whoever the psalmist might be, and they're expressing to God that life isn't working. And in individual lament, sometimes we think it must connect to the individual stuff that's going on in their life. And it does get to a personal place. But it is interesting to note that in this time of individual lament, that the psalmist is in turmoil and pain because of what is going on in their community. And that should be an example to you and I. That the pain and the anxiety and the difficulty of this life doesn't mean it just happens to us personally. But when the city isn't well, we're not well. When there is anger in the streets, that shouldn't sit well with us. It should move us to places of difficulty. The city isn't well, and he is calling out to God to confuse the wicked, to confound their words, to stop their influence, to come in and to make things right. He's also not just appealing to the Lord because there's this time of destruction in the city, but he gets very personal as well. He's appealing to the Lord because he's experienced betrayal, personal betrayal, a close friend. The scripture says this person is not a foe, that this person that has betrayed the psalmist is a man like himself, expressing that he was his companion, his close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship at the house of God. The psalmist has been personally betrayed by someone he used to worship with, with someone who he has been in the faith community with. The psalmist is in a deep place of pain because he has been personally betrayed by a brother or sister in the faith. This is someone very close to him. If you've ever been betrayed, you know how deep this pain is. In fact, on Friday, I was sitting with a friend of mine from our church, and at his workplace, some crazy stuff has happened to where there was a coworker that's accused him of something in particular, and now it's a human resource thing, and while they're investigating all this and looking at it, he had to physically move out of his office into a different office all the while, there are witnesses in the office saying that never happened or this isn't this person. And I'm sitting with breakfast with him on Friday. I could see the pain. When you are betrayed by someone, it's deep. Now, the interesting thing for him, he's been betrayed by a coworker that, that they're not necessarily close friends. And if we feel the, the pain of betrayal, at a level with people that we really don't like that much or we don't do things socially with, being betrayed by someone in the church is a whole nother level of pain. Being betrayed by an enemy is one thing, but being betrayed by a brother or sister in Christ is a whole nother level of pain. I think it's some of the worst kind of pain that you can experience. In fact, I think it might be the most single common story when I talk to people about why they don't go to church or why they struggle to really jump into the life of our church. When I talk to young people or young adults and they tell their church story that somewhere along the line, 
someone betrayed them. A relationship that was once, we used to, we used to connect in the house of God, we were companions, we, we, we did this life together, but somewhere in their story, someone's humanness hurt them. It might be the single most common story when you talk to people and ask why they don't go to church anymore if they did, because it is a special kind of pain. And the anguish of the psalmist is the anguish in the hearts of so many of you in this room and the anguish in my own heart at times when we are betrayed by one another. I'd love to tell you that my tenure at Lake Avenue has been betrayal-free. It's just not true. And so often when I meet people who have been hurt by pastors or by church leaders or just by church people, my heart sinks And if that's you this morning, if you're on the fringe of faith or the fringe of the life of the church because somewhere in your story, somebody hurt you or betrayed you in church, I want to apologize to you. It is real pain, and there might be nothing bigger when it comes to faith. The point is this, that the psalmist is appealing to the Lord to intervene in this difficult time in his life, to change the situation, specifically to confuse and kill, to make dumb and dead, to stop the bleeding and pain in the city and to stop the bleeding and pain in his own heart and his own soul. Now, the psalmist has some specific ideas about that, but ultimately, the psalmist gets to a place of this fourth movement We'll call it the confession of trust in the Lord. This is where the big split comes for many of us who are in the faith. We can follow the movements, right? We're in a time of pain. We're in a time of crisis. We're in a time of betrayal. We can go to God in that time of despair. And we can ask the Lord to hear us. We can beg the Lord to hear us. We can tell him that we're not sensing his presence and and that we need him in this moment. We, We can do the next step, too. We can go ahead and lay out to God all that we are feeling and experience, bringing to him all of our personal turmoil, all the places of pain, all the fears, all the ways we want to cope by getting away from it. We can do that quite easily. Right? The next thing we do pretty well, too, we always have some good ideas about how God can change the situation. So God, I'm in this time of pain. Here's what I'm feeling, and here's specifically what you can do about it. I think this fourth movement is where I struggle and where many of us struggle. Because we get to the specifics with God, and if he doesn't do what we want him to do or do it the way we think most makes sense, oftentimes we can walk back. But this fourth movement is a confession of trust. When the circumstances are so dire, so big, that it can actually push you closer to God than farther away from him. Listen to the psalmist. Verse 17, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress. The psalmist declaring that all day, every minute, not just for a moment, not just for five minutes in my quiet time in the morning, but I am going to cry out to you all day long. I am going to trust you and seek you all day, morning, noon, and night. He's confessing his trust in the Lord. 
Verse 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. The psalmist is saying, Lord, you take all of this heaviness, take all of my turmoil, take all of the pain, take the wicked, take it all. I trust that you can get me through this and that I don't have to run, I don't have to escape, that you will sustain me. Verse 23, but you, God, will bring down the wicked. The psalmist is saying, you right these wrongs, Lord. I have some specific ideas, but at the end, it will be you, God, who bring down the wicked. It'll be you, God, that deals with the injustice. It'll be you, God, that I will follow as we move forward in this pain. Verse 23, but as for me, I trust in you. Everybody else, Lord, psalmist has got a a few kinds of people. We've got this friend who's betrayed him. We have the wicked, and then we have the psalmist. And the psalmist is so angry. Psalmist is so upset that he's declaring the wicked and this person who's betrayed him, their motivation to the Lord, and he is separating himself from those people. And he's saying, as for me, at the end of the day, I trust in you. While other people trust in other things, I will remain firm in you. I love the Psalms. I love this series that we're in because, again, these human expressions of what it's like to live in God's world, I connect with them. Now, I haven't been on the run for my life. Some of you have. In fact, last night at Saturday Night Service, after I finished the sermon, there's someone who, who grew up in another country and talked about being on the run and living in the bush. I can't connect at that level personally, but some of you can. But the Psalms are so real. They're so honest. And when we allow them to, they can speak boldly to us and give us an example of how to live when we are feeling those same things in our life. When we are in seasons of anguish, when we are experiencing anger. And so specifically for for each one of us this week, how might we let Psalm 55 teach us how to live? That in our heart cry of anger or of being upset or being in a place of turmoil or, or despair, what might we be able to learn from Psalm 55? And I've got just a couple of things to encourage you with. First thing is this, that we need to be going to the Lord in all times and we need to go to him bluntly. Jenny is reading a book right now, and as we were talking about the, the message, she said, you got to read this section, and it's a book that many of you are reading. It's called Present Over Perfect by Shauna Nyquist, and I love how she has been thinking about prayer, and I think it relates to this going to the Lord in all times when she says this, I'm learning prayer is like oil and vinegar. The oil is our offering. It's the oil of the Old Testament that women used to press with their hands and use as both sacrament and nourishment. The oil is our thanksgiving, our gratitude, our praise. Then there is the vinegar. Vinegar is acidic. Vinegar holds our fears, our struggles, our nightmares, and our brokenness. I've always thought oil should come before the vinegar in prayer. Perhaps it's the opposite. 
When I'm praying to Jesus, my brain knows that he knows my heart, but I feel like he doesn't deserve my vinegar, and he only deserves my oil. Friends, I resonate with that. That, that you and I live in a time where we think about when we go to God, we have to be all dressed up and we have to actually butter up God so that he might hear us. And after we tell him all the great things about who he is, then we can slip in some of our pain and some of our brokenness. The Psalms give us permission to go to God lots of different ways. And in a time of despair, in a time of anger, in a time when life is not working, when there's enemies winning, when there's people betraying you, friends, you and I need to be able to go to the Lord in all times and go very bluntly. And you do not have to dress up your prayers or dress up your life for the living God. The vinegar can go first. I've said this before from this pulpit, but just because you and I have a lot of dysfunctional human relationships where that kind of bluntness doesn't work doesn't mean we can't go to God with that kind of bluntness. Some of us are in families or in marriages or in, in communities where you can't say anything blunt. You can't say anything kind of critical because, because of just the dysfunction of that relationship that we're so used to having, like, I gotta give them 15 compliments before I say the thing I really need to say, or I'm not gonna say anything because I don't want to start something. Friends, read the Psalms. Go to the Lord in all times, good, bad, and ugly, and especially ugly, and go to him bluntly. You don't need to hide. The second thing I want to encourage you with is notice that the psalmist, and like us, we need to be calling on the Lord to intervene. There is something so human and so profound in Psalm 55, because the psalmist, again, at the edge of his life, at a time where life is not working, he basically does what we do when we're at that time. Do you see it in the scripture? Fight or flight. I mean, early on, he's ready to get out of there. Give me wings like a dove, get me out of here. It, life is so bad that I'm just going to escape. And if I could just leave, if I could just take a little time off, if I could just avoid all of this, then it will surely go away. But the flight mentality is followed up by a little bit of fight too. When he rages out in his anger to the Lord. Friends, you and I, when we are in a time of anger, when we are in a time of despair, we need to be the kind of people who call on the Lord to intervene in that time. We self-intervene and self-medicate lots of creative ways. You and I have all kinds of tricks that we do when we get to a place of despair. And, and a lot of those tricks don't really work. Some of us, it's so hard, we get home and have a few drinks and we'll feel a little bit better. Some of us pick up a quart of ice cream on the way home. We'll just have some ice cream put on the television and just kind of block out all the pain that's going on. Some of us like to argue with people, taking it out on other people. We like to shame other people. We like to feel superior to other people. We self-medicate and we self-soothe and we self-intervene all kinds of creative ways. And what the Psalms can teach us 
And what Psalm 55 can teach us is that when we are in a time of despair, when we are in a time of experiencing rage and anger in our life, that we can call on the Lord to intervene. Psalm 55 shows us a model that when we are on the edge, we can go to the Lord bluntly, ask the Lord to intervene, to save us, to hear us, and to answer us. Amen? And finally, we can trust that the Lord is the Lord. Again, I think this is where the rubber meets the road for those of us in faith. This heart cry has an end. We don't sit in that anger and pain. We don't just fight or flight. We are people of faith. And as a result, you and I must be people of great trust in God. And I know that this sounds so churchy, just trust in God, but I hope you hear how much framing we've done before this. Think about how honest the psalmist has been with the Lord before he gets to a place of declaring his trust. It's not clean, it's not eat, it does, neat, it doesn't deny the reality of the situation. It's, so don't do that with one another. Don't do that with yourself. If you're going through a painful time, let's sit in the pain a little bit before we tell each other, we'll just trust the Lord and everything's gonna be fine. Listen to the progression. Evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress. Trusting the Lord takes time. It's not just a statement you make or a song that you sing or a prayer that you pray. It is a way of living. That morning, noon, and night, we trust in the Lord. That we cast our cares on the Lord and that he will sustain us. That at times of crisis and pain, that we believe that God will ultimately take down the wicked. And when it's all said and done, that you and I can trust in the Lord. Trusting that the Lord is the Lord takes time sometimes. And I believe sometimes we won't even see the full fruit of it or the full answer of it in this life. I know for me, 1998, the fall of 98, I flunked out of college. I, my heart is broken. And then there's only like 10 people on the Forest Home staff. And the whole year, I'm very aware that that next summer, the ex-girlfriend is coming back and we're going to work together for 10 more weeks. And about two months before uh, summer starts, I'd gained like 40 pounds and just a, a nightmare and John Wilson, who used to work here, comes up to Forest Home and looks at me, and only as John can say, he goes, Madisich, you look terrible. <laughs> I go, yeah, I flunked out of school, and this girl, and John goes, well, after the summer, why don't you move to Pasadena, work with me at Lake Avenue Church, and start your life over? Two weeks before summer. Of the 10 people on staff, we had someone back out, so we send an email out to the staff, and we go, hey, we're looking for one more female, one more woman to come up here and to serve this summer. We need them as a healthcare person, somebody to distribute medication and help do a lot of things. And my ex-girlfriend sends an email back to me saying, hey, there's this girl in my sorority named Jenny. I think she would be great. Now, I, I, don't, I don't tell you that story because not every time you're on the edge of life are you going to get a job and a wife out of it. <laughs> but glory, hallelujah, I did. <laughs> no, no, hear me, hear me, hear me. 
It's not that cute all the time. It doesn't work that well all the time. I am very aware of my example. I am very aware that so many of you in this room, you're going through just horrific stuff right now. And I don't know what the answer is going to be for you. But I know this, more so than the job, and honestly, more so than the provision of Jenny and I to one another, the journey of walking with God through life on the edge is so amazingly intimate that I experienced God in such a profound way that I can give testimony this morning, not that he gave me a job and a wife, but that he didn't let me fall and that he loves me and that he walks with me. And the living God this morning is telling you, you right now on the edge, whoever you are, whatever it is, I'm here. Come to me. Tell me what you're feeling. Get it off your chest. Share all your ideas. And trust me. And I will walk with you. My prayer is you and I would seek the Lord like the psalmist has sought him in Psalm 55. That in our times of despair, in our times of anger, that we can bluntly call on the Lord to rescue. And that we can trust him to do that. Join me in prayer. Father, thank you for Psalm 55 and so many like it that so connect with us at a human level. And I pray very specifically for those in this room right now or who are listening right now, those who are at a time on the edge where life is really hard, where it's really difficult. God, draw them close to you that they would come to you in their time of despair, that they would come with the vinegar first, that they would come bluntly, that they would ask you, God, to intervene and that they would trust that you are. I pray for your healing touch, your calming touch, your peaceful touch on lives that need it this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.